Thursday, let's uh, go across to our COVID-19 reporter, Piers Cunningham, standing by to bring us up to speed on all things pandemic. Piers, welcome once again to Peninsula Talks. Good to you could join us. Thanks. Good to be here, Brendan. Latest information coming out of Spring Street or health authorities, Piers, how are we travelling? We're fluctuating up and down around the thousands mark. Uh, in fact, the new case number today is 1,196. So we were down in uh, below a thousand yesterday, and then we've gone back over. So we've seen that's essentially what's happening a bit here. Um, I guess the number of people in hospital—that's the sort of number that people are more focused on now. We're at 89% vaccinated. We haven't quite got to that 90% level, but uh, we would be expecting to get over that sort of any day now. Really, 52 people in ICU, 53 people cleared from ICU, 29 people on ventilators. We've got a total of 9,774 active cases in the state. Interesting. How are we going uh, compared to other states, New South Wales in particular, sort of being the sort of gold standard or there's been that debate about the gold standard over the last 12 months or so, but New South Wales, how are they travelling at the moment, Piers? Can I put yeah, you on the spot? They're lower than uh, they're lower than us. It's interesting. Case numbers are quite a bit lower. We're on 114,000 total for the, for the pandemic and uh, they're on 80,000. Uh, we're on uh, nearly 1,300 deaths through the course of the pandemic. They're on less than half of that at 623. So I guess those numbers really reflect, and their daily numbers are down around the sort of two or 300 mark. I haven't actually seen the latest figures today, but it's essentially hovering about 250 thereabouts. So significantly lower than what we've got in Victoria. And how you attribute that, you know, they're probably well over 90% now in their 12 plus vaccination rates in New South Wales. So they did roll it out faster. They've been there for longer. They didn't have the, the sort of pandemic that Victoria had in, in 2020. It was a much easier time for New South Welshmen uh, last year. This year they had the outbreak and that's what put them into lockdown for two or three months. It's hard to ex exactly explain it. I mean, it might be that something to do with the geography. One reason being cited for Sydney is you've got a lot of water separating communities. So, you know, they were able to contain that North Shore outbreak last Christmas. Uh, because there's water separating it from other parts of Sydney, it, it wasn't able to spread as easily, and it's, it's more easy to lock down a region of, of the city. I really don't have any any easy answer to that. I mean, it, it seems that uh, maybe they, they got their education uh, more sorted. They targeted at-risk groups who they'd, they'd realised needed extra outreach from, from um, government authorities, from health authorities, to uh, get them to understand vaccines and the importance of vaccines. And, and social distancing and other measures, mask wearing and so on, maybe that me message was uh, better conveyed in New South Wales and Victoria. And Hard to explain those numbers. And indeed, I suppose maybe they didn't have that sort of second outbreak when we had that uh, terrible uh, manifestation following uh, the contamination that came out of the hotels and our handling of that down there. Right. Um, right, the other absolutely. interesting thing, Piers, and I know it's uh, not on our topic to discuss today, but just in the last couple of hours or so, speaking to a couple of Kiwis, they're absolutely disheartened that uh, Ardern has shut down her board is nobody going to come in from Australia, at least only limited numbers, I believe, until after Christmas. So 20,000 Kiwis absolutely perplexed at the moment and struggling to understand her particular motivation in shutting down Fortress New Zealand. Yeah, isn't it amazing? They've, they've um, abandoned the approach of, of completely uh, eliminating the, the Delta variant, which you know most places have done. But, yeah, I guess they're just they're very concerned about not 
not, not being able to handle it. Maybe they're, they're concerned about the health system not being able to respond to a surge in cases if that's what happens. So I think they've come out of lockdown or partially come out of lockdown in, in Auckland, which has had a pretty hard lockdown for a while since, uh, since someone from Australia introduced Delta to that part of New Zealand. I believe that South Island, I think, is still pretty much COVID-free. So they're trying to keep that as it is. But, you know, you wonder how long this can last for because the virus is here to stay and eventually someone's going to bring it in and you have to be prepared for that or you've become a hermit nation. And it's like Western Australia. They're, not, they're talking about they don't want to open up until uh, early next year sometime. But that's, I think it's tied to vaccine rates there, maybe not in New Zealand, though. And just getting those latest figures out of New South Wales, just seeing uh, the uh, ticker going through 248 today out of uh, New South Wales. Interesting, the, the, other, the other big story that I saw during the week, which just got me thinking a little bit, Piers, was the fact that scientists mystified that COVID-19 has not been the disaster everybody was expecting in Africa. It's extraordinary. Yeah. I, I just don't understand it. I mean, everybody thought it was going to be fear and loathing and that there were going to be millions dying. But it looks like Africa, without vaccination, has just shrugged it off. Yeah, fewer than 6% of people in Africa are vaccinated. Uh, so you can't, you know, they're very exposed. They're, they're an example of a, a whole continent that hasn't really got a, a significant protection afforded by vaccines. They do say that, you know, certain things like they don't have high-density city living. A lot of people spend time outside, and uh, that's the normal sort of lifestyle for, for many people in Africa. So that might be part of it. They also reckon that exposure to malaria over the years may somehow give you protect a kind of cross-protection against COVID. In the case of Ebola, which is a very nasty uh, disease that's uh, popped up in Africa, it's not as... It's easier to contain than COVID. It's not as infectious but it's a, it's a nastier, it can kill, kill you faster than COVID can. But people exposed to malaria and Ebola were, were more vulnerable to Ebola. But in the case of, of COVID-19, it seems that somehow uh, exposure to malaria may protect you against COVID, which is really interesting. It is. It's an anomaly that I'm sure a lot of research is going to go into over the years. Um, let's move it on to Europe, because once again, Central Europe, in particular, the Austrians really struggling at the moment. I mean, vaccination rates aren't huge and there's a massive lockdown, huge protests in the streets uh, and allegations that the government's acting like some sort of Nazi regime by taking away people's rights. Uh, Netherlands as well erupting. People are getting very, very upset in Europe as they uh, get into their winter. But it looks like um, the governments are really getting pretty staunch on the lockdown. Kind of what we're seeing a bit of in Australia, there's a big debate about vaccine mandates going on at the federal level. There's legislation there. There's also the state legislation, emergency powers, which have been delayed. So the Victorian government, the Andrews government, will be frustrated about that. They're, they're not getting that ride through on the back of uh, crossbenchers who've, who've uh, agreed to support that, that controversial legislation in the upper house, the Legislative Assembly. So it's, it's not gone through. In New South Wales, it, that similar legislation was delayed. I think it was, it's not indefinite in New South Wales, unlike the legislation of Victoria, which tries to enshrine these emergency powers, pandemic powers forever. In, in New South Wales, there was a backlash against extending them for just a few years. So uh, the Premier there has uh, just sort of shelved that for New South Wales and said, oh, I'll think about it over the summer and we'll, we'll leave it as it is for now. Uh, Dan Andrews is soldiering on. And, and in Europe, a similar debate. People don't like 
the idea that they might be denied the right to, to their job if they're not fully vaccinated, if they don't agree to be vaccinated. And there is these stubbornly low numbers in, in some of these countries, below 70% in, in countries like Austria. So that's, that's seen as a reason why the government's having to take these measures. But people don't like being told how to live their lives and they don't like that this is hanging around. So I think there's probably a fatigue factor coming in as well, lockdown and, and restriction and, and sort of pandemic fatigue setting in there as another winter uh, brings more cases and, uh, and more deaths, unfortunately. Yeah, you're right. A full lockdown once again in Austria for the next 10 days. 40,000 unvaccinated Austrians out in Vienna just in the last couple of days. And also I see that Austria, the first Western democracy to make COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory for all as of February 1. You don't have the jab, you're going nowhere in Austria. <laughs> I know, it's, it's pretty full on. I mean, we're, we're almost at that because we're... We're saying the only sort of shopping you'll be allowed to do is, is at a supermarket, essential services. We're restricting a lot of people uh, in the jobs that they do, particularly anyone who's involved in the health sector or, uh, you know, areas which are deemed to be sort of more exposure, more likelihood to, to be able to spread the disease or to be, to, be, to be have the disease spread to you. And we are talking more and more about vaccinating five-year-olds and up and there's a lot of controversy. So if you think there's resistance for, for uh, vaccinating 12 and up adults as well, then we could be in for a really pretty fired-up debate from, from some people about the prospect of vaccinating kids as young as five. But you, but you see in the States as well in the last 24 hours, Piers, I think New York Times uh, reporting that uh, the biggest swell in numbers over there is in this younger cohort. It's the kids that are coming down with COVID-19 knocking their numbers out of the park as well. Yeah, and then they spread it to adults. That's the problem. It's, it's kids themselves, as we know from the course of the pandemic, they're less vulnerable to the disease in terms of developing serious symptoms, but they can have it and they can pass it on. And then you can have some children who may have comorbidities or may have vulnerabilities, and, and then they can develop serious uh, symptoms from, from getting COVID, even at a young age. So there are reasons why they want to do it. Uh, the jury's still out in Australia. I think the, the federal government said they're waiting on a bit more information before the likes of Atagi and Therapeutic Goods Administration give the green light to, uh, albeit a reduced dose of of uh, Pfizer. I think it's a third dose for five and up. Interestingly, AstraZeneca is claiming that jab is the reason why Britain is faring better than Europe, which abandoned the use of AstraZeneca. So we're coming back to this debate about, you know, which is the better booster, which is the better vaccine. And uh, you and I, being the age we are, we, we uh, went early and, and got hold of the AstraZeneca. That was the one that was recommended for 50s and over originally. And then they, they sort of revised that and said 60s and over. So the older generations, both in England and Australia, had AstraZeneca. And, uh, you know, the, there is a suggestion that uh, that's giving them better protection. They're faring better with this new wave of, of Delta that's sweeping the continent than uh, the likes of, of Austria, Germany, France and other countries that, that uh, took either Moderna or, or Pfizer. Well, weren't we clever selecting AstraZeneca then, Pierce? Yeah, and yet we're sitting on millions and millions of doses which could eventually go off. We're churning them out at uh, you know, 750,000 or a million doses a week coming out of uh, Commonwealth Serum Laboratories here in Melbourne. And I think a lot of that's going to wind up going to, uh, to Pacific countries. And I think Australia is 
already the, the biggest donor of vaccines to South Pacific island nations, uh, which is a good thing to be doing and uh, it's part of sort of vaccine diplomacy, if you like. Lots of countries are engaging in that. But uh, at least we, you know, hopefully we can find a home for our AstraZeneca because it doesn't seem to have the, uh, the marketing might that uh, for-profit vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna have got. Indeed. Well, in fact, the story in the Pacific is a really good one, particularly across Polynesia, the eastern central side of the Pacific. I mean, their vax rates probably put us to shame here in Australia. They got they really did a, a very good job. The big issue, I think, is Melanesia on this side of the Pacific, and particularly Papua New Guinea, where I think our vaccination rates are hovering around the 5 to 6% mark, and there's a lot of fear and loathing up there about uh, the vaccine and uh, all sorts of stories in social media and... Um, on the coconut wireless really upsetting people and uh, they're just not opting to go and get vaccinated and it's causing a huge problem for health authorities up there. Melanesia seems to be very prone to uh, some susceptibility at the moment. Yeah, it's funny how, how you know, a little bit of disinformation or, or you know, seeding of disinformation at, at an early stage can, can have big problems for vaccine rollouts and, and the federal government's been criticised for sort of giving anti-vaxxers the chance to they hesitated and they had mixed messages coming out about the vaccine. It's one of the reasons why, you know, we, we had the, the, the sort of big wave of lockdowns through the country over winter this year. If we, if we sort of got the message out more clearly and we started vaccinating earlier, could potentially have been where we are now six months ago. But, um, you know, there are, there are, I think there are other arguments that because we didn't have a lot of the virus at the end of last year and we've done well to just... Uh, you know, eliminated and shut it out of the country by, by by very tough border restrictions. That we thought that we had, you know, that we could. It was worth waiting. You know, waiting and getting as much information as possible about potential side effects of, of the vaccine. And we thought we, we did, in a way, have the luxury of doing that. So that there's different ways of, of, of judging delays in vaccine rollouts in Australia. I think. Indeed, Piers Cunningham, thank you very much indeed. For you.